Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Isaiah's peace sets us up very perfectly for where we want to go today. Uh, We are talking about the art of living and we can't talk about the art of living without talking about our story and what God has done, what God is doing, what God is going to do in the future with our life. We also need to talk about what God has given us and maybe the things that we believe that God is going to give us. And I believe that's where this word begins today is I believe that God um, has given us all we need. Does anyone agree with that? That God has given us all we need. And, and, and as I was thinking about what God wanted me to talk about today, that it begins with that thought that God has given us what we need. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I want us to just look at our neighbor and tell, tell them he's given you what you need. And here's the thing. I know that some of you don't believe that yet. I know that some of you don't know that yet because I wonder how many of us have recently, recently felt that I don't have what I need. You know, that, I, that, you know, that my business just leads a little bit more. My finances need a boost. My feelings need something different. My life isn't all that I hope for. I need new friends. I, I need a better job. I wish I had what they had. And, and this is the way life goes, right? And I understand that there are times that we have true needs. So this isn't a denouncement of the reality of needs in our life. I know that we have needs, but I do want to declare today that God has given us all we need for the next chapter of our story, no matter what the previous chapter was. I believe that God has given you what you need to do the things that he's created you to do and to be the person he's created you to be. Are you all ready to go with me today where God wants to go, I believe? And so here's the, I got to give you a little bit of behind the scenes on sermon prep, because I know a lot of you don't prepare sermons. So I got to tell you kind of how this one went for me. I have this thought, a very strong conviction. God has given you all you need. And here's the thing. I know that that's not a very uh, different thought. That's not a very unique thought. We've all maybe heard that before, so I felt like I needed to dig deeper, and I started to try and write my sermon, and I had what's known as writer's block. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a moment in which I didn't know what to say next. And just so you know, like in sermon prep, like I write my sermons before I speak them. Not everybody does that. Some people do what I call like chicken scratch notes. They like put three bullet points on a napkin, and then they preach for an hour. They have endless illustrations, hilarious jokes, and they preach with fire. That's not me. I have to write it out. I have to write out what I'm saying right now. Like this joke that I'm about to tell you, I wrote it out. But that's just the way I think. I have a friend who's like, I walk my dog and I write my sermons while I walk the dog. I'm like, man, I want to be like that. I mean, I want to be cooking dinner and just be like, I got my sermon now. I mean, first I got to cook dinner, but then I can write sermons, right? But that's not the way it works. Because if I walked up here with three bullet points scratched out on a napkin, the message would, la- the message would last about three or four minutes, which I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Let's give that a shot, Tim. Let's just see what happens. Three, four minutes sounds great. Get those napkins. Let's do this. So I had writer's block. I get this direction. God has given you all you need. Then I hit writer's block. I don't know what to write next because I don't want to just write the same old thing. I got to think differently, right, about what God's saying. And it's like, so, but then it hit me. I had this moment where it hit me. This is what life is like so often. That we get just enough direction. God has given you all you need. And then you don't know what's next. Doesn't that happen in life? We get writer's block to the story of our life. 
We get to a point where we don't know what to do, what to write, where to go, what to think. The next chapter is, is at best foggy, at, at worst completely dark. And what do we do with a life that when we don't know what to do, what to create, and here we are in a series called The Art of Living that God has created you to create, that God wants you to create life. And we've been pushing this for five, six weeks and trying to encourage you that God has given you all you need, but yet you're going, yeah, that may be fine, but I don't know what's next. So I wanna talk about this a little bit today because I believe, first of all, that God has given us more than we think and that we know more than we think. I believe God has given you more than you realize. And just when God says, for example, that I've given you all you need, that does not mean that you understand all that he's given you. You see, what we may see as small or insignificant or irrelevant, or maybe we even see it as a mistake or a failure, that may be exactly the thing that God wants to use in your next chapter. You may not see it yet, you may not understand it yet, you may be experiencing what I'm calling writer's block, but I do wanna say as I begin this message, I'm almost giving you the end at the beginning here, that God has given you all you need to do what he's called you to do, that God has given you all you need to write that next chapter of your story, that God has given you all you need even if you feel like you're missing 10 things. You see, I believe that many in the church believe, and you're gonna to have to stay with me on this, many in the church believe you do not have what you need. We don't have the opportunity that other people have. That's why our life is the way it is. We don't have the money really needed to feel peace or to feel stress-free. We don't have the personality to get the job that we really want. We don't have the, the talent or the education or the skills or the intelligence or the upbringing or the job or the respect or the favor or, or maybe the looks or the clothes or the shoes because you gotta have the shoes, the body, the house, the, the car, the beliefs, whatever it is, the looks, the right friendships, we don't have what we need, whatever that is. We think because we don't have what we need, we can't really live the life that we wish we could live. And so we get stuck believing that the next chapter looks just like the last chapter. And we don't have high expectations beyond our current self because of the limiting beliefs we placed upon ourselves. because when we look at what we have, it doesn't seem like much. Am I talking to anybody? Because here's what I'm trying to say to us today is I believe it's very cliche to say God has given us all you need, but most of us don't actually believe that. We believe we need something else. Let me ask you, don't you really want to experience something unexpected? Don't you really want to experience the miraculous? Don't you want to see God do a new thing in your life that you didn't see coming? Don't you want to experience something in life that you're like, wow, I thought I didn't have it, but I actually had more than I thought I had. I mean, we all want to experience this, right? We all want to. And so here's what I want to do. I want to get into a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, because this is about our story. This is about the story of your life. And this is a story that I believe God took me to in this idea of he's given us all we need. Second Kings chapter four, verse one. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor, everyone say creditor. That's the banker, right? The creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. That's a weird sentence. 
Why is the creditor coming to take his bo- her boys as his slaves? I need to give you a little bit of brief background. Now, Elisha, one letter different than Elijah, he, she, or a couple letters different, he replaced Elijah as the lead prophet in Israel, meaning he, he's what they called the man of God. And you'll notice that it says um, that this woman was the wife of a man who was in the company of prophets. Now, this is the Old Testament. This is before Jesus, if you don't know much about the scriptures. So this is BC, before Christ. This is BS, before the Spirit. I just, I could say BS in that context. It's all good. So meaning BS before the Spirit and the way the Spirit works right now in us. So the role of the prophets was actually really important. It was really important during this time. It was significant during this day. There was a prophet, though, that was the prophet, the man of God, and that was Elisha. And this woman was a woman's husband was a prophet in what was known as the company of prophets. So Elisha knew this man and she comes to him and she's a widow and she has no way of paying off the debt that they had because he was the sole provider for their family. And now she's coming to him saying, hey, my husband's dead, but the bank is still coming. The the loan officer is still calling me every day. Now, let me just say this. How many of you know that even when your life is facing a crisis, that the world doesn't stop turning? You know what I'm saying? Even when your life is facing some sort of challenge or some sort of crisis, the world keeps coming at you, and it's not like it ever stops to say, oh, yeah, we want to give you a break. Anybody ever feel that? This is what this lady's experiencing is like, yeah, you're going through a really hard time, but the world doesn't really seem to care. And so this is the situation, and it sounds crazy because this lady's facing this moment where, yeah, the creditor doesn't come to repossess the house or take the car. There's nothing like that going on. She says, I'm gonna t-, he says, I'm going to take your sons as slaves, which is actually pretty normal during this time because that's how they dealt with debt. There's no bankruptcy. There's no thing like that. What they do is, oh, okay, we're just going to take you as a slave to play off, pay off the debt that you have. And so I'm going to take your two sons. So she goes to Elisha. He's the man of God. He's the prophet. He's the guy to go to because she is in a place of need. And she says, hey, I need your help. So Elisha replied to her, well, how can I help you? <laughs> Tell me, what do you have in your house? I'm just going to read this. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. And Elisha said, go around, ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Don't be timid. Be bold, right? Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars and eat. And as each is filled, put it to one side. So what what he's saying is, I want you to take that small jar of olive oil you have. I want you to pour it into the empty jars until they are all full, which would be a miracle, right? To take a little bit and to make it a lot. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left. All right, so there's so many things to talk about in this passage if you really start to dig into it and the meanings of it. And to be truthful, we could probably talk about this for a number of weeks. But right off the bat, I wonder if God is saying to us that you do have more than you think. What you thought was a little is actually not a little. It's a lot. And I wonder if you, if you were really just trying to take right off the bat the things that you think this might be saying to us is, is God potentially saying, hey, if you pour out what I've given you, I'm going to give you more. So those are just a few things right off the bat, right? But I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
That would be too easy. Verse number two. Let's go back. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Can you imagine like, hey, you call someone, you're like, hey, I got this huge problem. Yes, yes. How can I help you? How can I help you? Don't you know she was thinking, well, you can give me some money. Like, I have a debt and my sons are about to become slaves. I can't imagine this scenario. This is like the end of the rope, desperate measures, desperate moment scenario. And Elisha casually replies, well, how can I help you? And I'm sure she's like, use your position to go set up a GoFundMe, a Kickstarter. I don't know, take up an offering, who knows, candy, fundraiser, I don't care, anything. Get into that temple treasury and help me out, help the sister out with a little bit of a problem I have. You know what I'm talking about? Don't you know she's thinking, Elisha, you have the position and the power to help me right now. What do you mean, how can you help me? How many of you guys know that sometimes you have problems in your life and you have someone in your life you know can solve that problem and you're just like, why can't they just help me out? You're like, man, they have all the money, they have all the power, they have all the clout, they have all the everything, that if they would just help me out, I'd get over this hump. But for some reason, they keep just withholding everything they have. What's wrong with those people? Can't they just help someone out? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just like, man, I get in a need and I have all these people that could help me, but they won't. So he says, how can I help you? And it's like Elisha knew that if he let her answer that question, she would have got it wrong. So he just asked another question. And he says, oh, tell me what you have in your house. What do you have, woman? Before I help you, what do you have? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all. Pause. I like how it's written because there's a pause right in the middle of that. Before she says, except this small jar of olive oil the writer puts in this pause he says there's nothing there at all dramatic pause is the way i read it except a small jar of olive oil it's almost like the woman said there is nothing in my house the cupboards are bare the house is empty you don't understand i'm out of options then after a pause she's like well i mean i do have this one like little bit of oil but it's not very much it doesn't even count We do this in life. We often focus on what's in missing, what is missing and ignore what is present. But listen, God can do the miracle through the very thing that you are trying to not even mention in your life. Let me ask you, do you think too much about what you don't have? Maybe your family isn't perfect. <laughs> and all you think about is what your family lacks instead of what your family has. Or perhaps your job isn't exactly what you dream of and you just can't get over that. Or maybe you can't seem to get the house or the money or the relationship or the time you want or to see the dreams come to fulfillment that you want and you're always thinking about what you're missing instead of what you have. Listen, if you have a little bit of oil, it's not nothing. If you have a job that isn't perfect but it's paying the bills, it's not nothing. If you have a family that isn't perfect, that's called it's human and you should appreciate that you have a family if you have a place to live you have clothes on your back you have food in your stomach we all know that that's not nothing that's something if you have friends they might not be the perfect friends but at least you have some i know many of you when we talk about the oil in scriptures you already know that oil is representative of many things more than just cooking oil that in fact oil is is it's got a monetary value that's why she was able to sell it and get money but it's also got a significance symbolically that oil represents the holy spirit the presence of god in the scriptures 
And so in this particular case, what you see is, hey, how much oil do you have in your house? And she says, I just got a little bit. You know, the reason we call Jesus the anointed one, we talk about we anoint with oil, right? Why do we anoint with oil? Because oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so we're anointing with oil. Jesus is the anointed one because he is bathed. He is saturated. He is covered like oil over his skin with the presence of God. And so when we anoint with oil, we're praying in that. When someone says that sermon is anointed, I talked about this in the James series, I think. But when we say, oh, that sermon is anointed, that song is anointed, that conversation is anointed, that person is anointed, what we're talking about is God is all over that. The presence of God is all over that. So when Jesus, the, capital T-H-E, the anointed one, is because he is the one that is most saturated, completely saturated, always saturated with the Holy Spirit, and completely covered by God's presence. And so here we are in this moment where she says, I only have a little bit of oil. I just want to say to you, if you have a little bit of oil, that's something, not nothing. In fact, if you have a little bit of oil, it's not only something, it could be everything. Maybe we could say the oil in your life is not only God's presence, but it's your satisfaction, it's your joy, it's your contentment, it's your purpose, it's your meaning, it's your significance. You may feel like you want more of those things. You may feel like there's a deficiency of oil in your life, especially when you look around at the oil that other people have and you think, man, I wish I had that much oil. (laughs) The widow knew that her friends and neighbors probably had more oil than hers. That's why she looked at the oil she had and it didn't feel like it was very much. You see, we look at people's lives around us and we think, man, my life is not all that much compared to theirs. I'm missing something. I need something to really fulfill the gap that I feel like exists in my life. You know, when we get on Instagram and look at everyone's vacation pictures, nobody does that, right? (laughs) We get on Instagram and look at everybody's vacation pictures, we think, man, look at their life. It's so good. Their family, it looks like they're all happy. They're all at Disney or the mountains, or Branson. Order, no order of preference there. And you look at their life and you think, man, I wish we could be like that, wish we could do that. Do you know what happened right before they took that picture? Mistakes were made. You know what I'm saying? Threats were made. You will shut up and you will smile or I will take you out. That's what happened right before that picture. How many of you guys know that happened before those pictures were taken? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Listen, what I'm saying is you can't put on Instagram what happened right before that photo was taken. You will be canceled. (laughs) It's a real thing. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, we are, we are comparing ourselves to something fake. We are comparing ourselves to something that isn't real. And we're getting caught up in this comparison of others' people's, how much they have in their life and what their life seems like. And we've talked about this before. We know this. But yet we still do it. We know this is fake. But yet we go, oh, my gosh. My life is not like theirs. My point is we dismiss what we have all the time. We call something nothing that's actually something all the time. We compare our something to others and we measure what we have as nothing in light of what we compare as their something. The disciples told Jesus, man, you gotta send these people home. They're gonna get hungry and we don't have any food. Jesus is like, I don't know, I was thinking maybe you'd feed them. And they're like, what? They're like, listen, we only have a couple fish and five loaves of bread. We don't have enough. We don't have what we need, Jesus. How many know? 
that the things that we say that we don't have what we need, those are the exact things that Jesus takes to use and do what only he can do to give us more. We dismiss what we have, but Jesus uses what we have to do more. The little bit of something is not nothing. By the end of this passage, she has a house full of oil, of course, but it wasn't until she poured out what she had. Oh my goodness, we're not gonna, um, should we talk about that part? But until she poured out what she had, that she had more. Today, I want you to think about what you've been overlooking, what you've dismissed and called, an, and called not enough, what you've withheld and called nothing. I'm not just talking about money and material things. I'm actually talking about dreams. I'm talking about direction. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about the gifts that God's given you. I'm talking about the talents that you have. I'm talking about the passions that you have. Maybe your future is found in what you're overlooking. Maybe your next chapter is found in, in the things that you say you don't have enough of. Maybe that's where your breakthrough is. Perhaps the art of living starts with what he's already given you, not what you've not yet attained. The enemy would do what he can to make you call what you have nothing. He'll say to you, nothing is good about your life. Nothing's going right. Nothing goes your way. Nobody likes you. No one cares. Why my life is not as good as theirs. That's what he wants you to say. And the question from Elisha was, what do you have in your house? And so often we look backwards in life and go, man, I, you, back in the day, I used to have a lot in my house. It was awesome. Like, man, the 90s were great. How many of you guys like the 90s? I love the 90s because, you know, in the 90s, it was like, I always think about how much time I had in the 90s. I was like, I had so much time. I could do anything in the 90s. You guys that weren't born until after the 90s, you missed out. Like, life was slow. We had so much time. To, we didn't have cell phones or social media. And I'm always like, man, those were the days. You know what I'm talking about? The 90s, that's where it was at, guys. Back then, that my house was full in the 90s. Come on. So we look backwards and we go, oh, my house was full back then. Or if we're not looking backwards, we're looking forward and we're going, oh, when I get past this season of my life with these little kids and I can get my life back, then it'll be good. Or whenever I get that promotion in two years, then my life will be good. Or whenever I retire and we can travel all the time, that's when life will be good. So we're either looking backwards or forwards and we're never thinking about what we actually have in our house right now. And I just want you to say the oil that you have right now is the oil that you need. And I'm also want to say that the strength you have right now is the strength you need. I want to say right now, the encouragement that you have now is the encouragement that you need. The friends that you have now are the friends that you need. The vision that he's given you, as unclear as it can seem, is the vision that you need. The skills that you have are the skills that you need. The talents and the passions that you have are the talents and passions that you need. That's just the way it works. And it's time to actually take those things and to pour it out. Because the oil only grows when you pour out what you've been given. Even if it seems like it's nothing, it's actually something. And he wants to take that something and he wants to do more with it if you'll let him. He wants, and see, the enemy wants you to protect what, he's, what you've been given, but God wants you to give what you've been given. See, he wants you to say, oh, I don't have that much. I got to protect it. But God is saying, no, 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 I want you to pour it. Look at what it says in verse 3. It says, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. That sounds fun. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it, into one, put it to one side. She left them, shut the door behind her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. We tend to think, I'll pour more when I get more. But here's the thing. God multiplies what we give even when what we give isn't all that much. When you surrender more, he multiplies it. It's called, the, it's called the principle of the seed. 
We all know this, right? You plant a seed in the ground and then it grows and produces a tree that produces fruit that has millions of seeds for years to come. But you got to surrender the seed. You got to give it. And see, here's the thing. God never leaves a seed in the ground when it's properly planted. He never leaves one there. He's always faithful. This is one of the powerful principles of how God's kingdom works. When you need encouraged, it's time to encourage. You plant the seeds of encouragement in others. You pour out the little bit you have, trusting that he has something else in mind for you. Here's the thing. This is not a give to get sort of way of living. This is a way of living that trusts God with the things that he's given you. So you pour it out. I want you to think about something, though, in this story. So Elisha tells her to go and do something. He told her to go to her neighbors and ask for empty jars. That's sort of awkward, right? Like, instead of Elisha just opening the checkbook, Elisha asked her, not only what is in your house, but then once you figure that out, then I want you to go and do an obedient, bold act. All right? How many of you, I'm just asking, raise your hands, how many of you want to go to all of your neighbors, as many as possible, and ask them for their empty jars today? Anybody? Okay, we got one. You're weird, but the rest of it, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're not weird. God loves you just as you are. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Excuse me, neighbor. Do you have any spare jars? I'd like all of them. Right? I wonder if this is why so many people live in slavery. You're like, record scratch. What are you talking about? Remember, the sons were going to be taken as slaves. Maybe we aren't willing to be obedient to the bold acts we're called to do with the things that he's given us. And as a result, we've, we've, oh my gosh, we've ended up in some sort of stronghold bondage or forms of slavery. God wants to fill our lives, but we aren't willing to knock on some doors. That is a good point, Tim. And God said it, not me, just so you know. But this woman, she and her sons, they did it. They knocked on the doors. They went to their neighbors and said, can we please have all of your mason jars? They're going to be really cool, like hipster, like bougie jars in the future. Cups. No, no. They said, can we have all of your, uh, your, your jars? And they're like, what for? And they're like, well, we're hoping that if you give us your jars, apparently we will become slaves. And the neighbor looked at them like, honey, we get the, uh, get the jars. The neighbor boys have done lost their minds. The, the widow and the, the sons, they did what they were supposed to do, but I don't know, for me, sometimes I have these moments when I think, is what I'm doing, does it even, does it even matter? Because I'm going to go do this crazy thing, but does it, does it even even care? Is it going to make any difference? I mean, as Christians, we're like, maybe like, does, does coming to church even matter? Can I just love Jesus and sort of do whatever I want? Does the serving even matter? Does reading the Bible even matter? I mean, I kind of know the story. Does, do all these things matter that people say matter? I don't know. And I'm telling you as a pastor, I've had moments where I think, man, does anyone even care? Do, 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 are we making a difference? Do sermons matter? Is all this energy, like, is it important? Like, what are we doing, God? And, and see, here's what the enemy can do. He can get a hold of the things that you do and the things that you can have that you have, and he can call them nothing. He could say, all this is nothing, and people are believing it, but it's not nothing. It's something. 
And when we take the something that we have and we pour it out, the something, the little bit that we have becomes the more of Jesus. See, when we start, when we start complaining about nothing, you know what God says to us? He says, shut the door and keep pouring. You want more? You better pour. How many of you know, <laughs> how many of you know that to be filled with all that God has for us, that we have to pour ourselves out the things that God's given us? Verse 6 says, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left, and the oil stopped flowing. Now, here's the deal. She acted in faith. She acted in bold obedience. But there is one thing that we got to talk about. The oil stopped flowing when the jars ran out. The miracle was given according to the measure of her expectations and faith in borrowing jars. Had she gathered more, guess what? More would have been poured out. She herself was the measure of God's, of what God would give. Meaning, how much do you expect from God? How big and bold are your prayers? What expectations of God's movement in your life do you have? The story that you're writing in your life, the next chapter, do you expect it to be the same as the last one? Or do you expect it to be different? That's what I'm talking about. See, I'm learning that I have to increase my expectations and my faith in order to experience more of God's possibilities. You see, I don't believe that God gives or withholds um, based on what I do or don't do or what I believe. <clears throat> However, I do think that in the matter of spiritual blessing, we have more to do with the measurement that is given than we'd like to believe. And this story is kind of proof of it. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He says, we have... We make our blessings little because our prayers are little. He wants to fill you up with oil, but you have to pour out what you have first. So if you don't feel like you have what you need, if you feel like you're not enough or that you don't have enough, can I just say that the starting point of that next chapter of your story is realizing that, hey, that thing that you think isn't enough, the thing that you've been overlooking, that may be the exact thing that God wants to work in you. And so I'm asking you today, what do you have in your house? What's the thing that you've been dismissing? The thing that feels like it isn't enough? The thing that you feel like, man, if I could just get that figured out, life would be better. Perhaps that's exactly what God says. Will you take that and will you trust that thing with me? Will you in your way pour it out? And you'd be like, how do I pour it out? You pour it out by entrusting it to him, by surrendering it to him, by first of all saying, God, I acknowledge this is something you've given me and I wanna give it to you. God, I don't have much money. What does use money as an easy example? But that's yours. You've given it to me. I want to trust you with it and follow your word. I want to tithe. I want to give. I want to be generous. You know what, God? I don't know how to be a mature Christian and disciple and make other Christian make disciples or whatever. And it's like, God, I don't have, I have a dream. I have a desire of wanting to impact others for Christ. I don't know how to do that, but I surrender it to you. I give it to you. And I'm just going to go and I'm going to talk to that person right there. I'm going to invite him to coffee. That's the little bit that I can do. And I'm going to trust that he's going to pour out more as I act in the little steps of obedience. Sometimes they're bold obedient. Go knock on that neighbor's door and ask for an empty jar. And sometimes they're simple as I'm going to go and do the little bit of vision that he's given me. I'm going to step into it even though I don't know where it ends. Elisha reminded her of what she had, told her to, told her to be obedient to a bold request. God make it, may make a bold request of you. And then he told her to just keep on pouring what he's given her. 
I just want to make a really, really deep challenge to our church body. God has given you so much. Are you pouring out what he's given you? We sit on loads of talent, loads of gifts, loads of resources, and we protect them as if we're going to lose them. But God wants to multiply them if we would use them. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. This is an encouragement from the bottom of my heart. If you want to create life, if you want to experience all that God's created you for, you got to go and be everything that he's created you to be. And you do that by pouring out everything he's given you. Not withholding anything from him. Not self-protecting, self-limiting, or self-demonizing. It is a step of faith into trusting what he's given you. That it will be multiplied. God will not leave a seed in the ground. It will grow. He's given you all that you need. I want to pray for us, so would you just bow your heads? I want to get in a private place with our Heavenly Father. We're just going to pray, and we're not going to sing today. We don't have another song. We're just going to pray. So just be present in these few minutes and just allow the Lord to speak to you. Kind of like in this scripture, we're shutting the door for a moment with the Father. Just you and God. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. I hope you today, hope today you hear that there, there is oil in your house. There is something that you can pour out to your Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for the, for the oil, for the, for the things, for the, for the blessings that you've given us. And we're sorry for complaining about it, calling it not enough, comparing it to others. We want to thank you today. And we want to surrender it to you. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want to ask a couple questions. You can raise your hand to these questions. Just as a way to acknowledge me, the Father. No one's looking around, but it's really simple questions. How many of you needed to hear today that God has given you all you need? Just raise your hand all around the room. God has given you all you need. Just raise your hand if that's, that's, that's an encouragement to you today. Doesn't mean you, maybe that's all just an encouragement. Receive it today. You can put your hands down. How many of you needed to hear that what you've been calling nothing is actually something? Just raise your hand today if you needed to hear that encouragement today. The thing that you were thinking isn't enough, it's actually enough. Raise your hand. And how many today needed to hear that God wants you to pour out what he's given you? God wants you to pour out what he's given you in a new way. Would you raise your hand? Come on, come on, raise your hand. I know everybody. We need to hear that today. It's an encouragement to you. Put your hand down. And I just want to, I don't want to leave today without giving an opportunity for this. Perhaps today you're here and God is speaking to your heart and, and you just want to surrender to him. You, and if you're putting yourself in this story, you're the empty jar that you just want God's presence to fill your life up. I just want you to hear that God wants every person to come to him. But Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. And what he meant when he said that is we all need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in order for us to be justified and to be right before our heavenly Father, we have to come to Jesus. We have to come to the cross. We have to ask for forgiveness of our sins. And we need to accept Jesus as our Savior. That's our only way to God. 
God sent his son Jesus, and it says in the scriptures that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is the son of God, and that he died on a cross and was resurrected three days later, it says if we believe those things, we can be saved. And so I just wanna invite any person in the room, if today you wanna give your life to Jesus, you wanna surrender your life to him, there's no better choice that you can make than to say yes to God. It's, it's a decision to say, God, I wanna, yes, surrender to you, but I, and I want you to be my savior, but I also want you to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. Because we can't do life on our own. And it, it's true, we said at the beginning of the day, we are not alone, but we are first not alone because we have a heavenly father who's loved us, who's created us, who cares about our story, who's given us all we need, and he wants to take you forward in your story to a life that you never imagined. It's better. So today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can just pray a prayer. Repeat this prayer with me. It's really simple, but it just starts with the simple words that says, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you want to, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, Jesus as your Savior, just pray that prayer right now. Just whisper it. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Then pray this. Say, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. forgiveness of my sin then say I want to live for you from this day forward I want to live for you from this day forward and I want to live with you from this day forward and then just say this just thank him say thank you God for loving me thank you God for saving me just whisper that prayer to him thank you God for loving me as I am thank you for your salvation your forgiveness of me thank you for giving me a better story say those kind of things to him just pour your heart out to him if you just prayed that, that's a decision of saying yes to God. And I just want to, real quick, if you just prayed that and you want to let me know and you have the courage, just lift your hand. I just want to know if anybody prayed that prayer today. Just lift your hand real quick. Put it up, put it back down. I saw you. That's awesome. Father, we thank you for those who lifted their hand, not only to that prayer, but to the things we mentioned earlier. And today we want to submit all of that to you. May you seal any and all of those things in our hearts. May we leave out of this place different than the way we came in. May we not let anything be the ground that you want us to take. May we not give it back to the enemy that, Lord, we would step forward in the new territory that you're calling us to in the new life and the new chapters ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who, set, who died on a cross for us and who, who reigns as king and Lord of all. So to God today, I pray that whatever, whatever flames needed to be fanned, so they maybe were just a small, just a small flame that there would become a raging fire inside of us for you and your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God praise today? He's so good. He's so worthy. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.